Welcome to another show of Coffee with Kareem. Today's show is called The Two Fornicators. And what I'm going to do is share the story, this is a true story, of an experience that I actually had, and until today gives me brilliant insights and reminders for how to counsel people and how to live the path myself. So, true story, um, when I was in university, um, you of course always have foreign students that come to study, and then they plan to go home. And uh, two particular brothers... um, used to come to the MSA, the Muslim Student Association. At one point, I was the president, and I was very active in dawah and interfaith and building relations. And so I knew these brothers pretty well. They used to come to our halakas, our gatherings. And what made these uh, brothers interesting and unique is that they both were um, from the Middle East, and they had girlfriends, uh, American girlfriends. And um, one of them used to have a very, I want to say, inhumane attitude, um, kind of that mentality of whatever, like she's just a kafira, and uh, I'm kind of doing my thing and, and using her, basically. Uh, and once I go home, I'm going to marry a nice virgin girl and settle down. The second brother uh, also had a girlfriend. But what made him different is he knew he was doing something wrong by having a girlfriend, but he would still bring her to the MSA gatherings and uh, our group meetings, etc., um, because he just was more real, I guess you could say, about it. And think about this. So the first guy, sometimes we would actually witness you know, him being mean to his girlfriend or, or treating her like you know, a sexual object and, and, you know, the stuff he would say when she wasn't around. Uh, clearly, this, this guy was lacking character and humanity. And, uh, you know, when we used to advise him, like, fear God and, and maybe you should consider, you know, marrying her, even if it's while you're here, he said, it doesn't really matter. She's not Muslim and, you know, almost like it doesn't count, right? Um, which is such a weird complex that I think some Muslims have. Like, if you commit zina or do wrong things to non-Muslims, then it's not uh, doesn't have the same gravity as if as if you did it with a Muslim girl or a Muslim guy, but that's just not true uh, because it's just ethnocentric, you know, self-centered uh, religiosity, if you will. So, guy number one, the cruel guy, um, you know, once his degree was over, he broke up with his girlfriend and, and moved home. Okay, and. Um, the second guy, who, like I said, was actually more humane and used to bring his girlfriend around and treat her well, and he actually was trying to teach her stuff about Islam, uh, even though he knew he was doing something uh, wrong, he was still trying to make dawah, if you will. And he also ended up breaking up with his girlfriend and moved back home uh, once he completed his degree. Now, what's interesting is girlfriend number two of the second nice guy She actually still came to the MSA and attend the Muslim gatherings. And many people kind of were like, this is weird, you know, like she used to always come with that guy. And now she's still coming because obviously she made friendships with people in our group as well. So one day I actually had the cards to go and ask her. I said, you know, this is fascinating. You know, I I know she was deeply hurt after the breakup. 
And one day I asked her, you know, why do you still keep coming uh, to the MSA meetings and hang out with Muslims on campus? And this is what she said. She said, well, the best boyfriend I ever had was a Muslim man who loved his religion. And she actually became Muslim several months later after he, they had broken up. So subhanAllah, the sincerity of her boyfriend, even though he was you know, doing something wrong, um, penetrated her heart and softened her heart. Now you have to recognize that on paper, both of these guys are committing zina. And anytime you commit a sin in Islam, you run the risk of being punished. Now remember, that's not the same thing as you will absolutely be punished for, because that's up to God to decide. But on paper, they were both committing zina. But what's the difference here? The difference is that the first guy who was cruel, he also acquired the sin of being a jerk and a cruel guy. The second guy may have been committing zina, but he also gained some rewards by treating her well, and ultimately she became Muslim as a result of that. Subhanallah. So this teaches us that sometimes, even when we are deliberately sinning, you can still have a form of excellence in that sin. Not to say that, you know, okay, as long as I'm good about it, I can go commit sins. But I'm just giving this as kind of an existential example that things aren't always so black and white, like, oh, he's a zani, therefore it's all dark and doom from here right? But that actually sometimes you can get very positive results, even when something isn't ideal at first. So who knows, maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive uh, brother number two, because he actually treated her well, and she actually became Muslim as a result of their illegal relationship. Whereas the first guy, um, Allahu alam, but I don't think he got the same results. I mean, I, I never saw that girl again after they broke up. Um, and, you know, who knows, maybe she walked away hating Muslims and Islam, which, by the way, happens, you know, so people out there who are in relationships that they're not supposed to be, you have to really, really recognize that it's not just about you and, you know, doing your thing and then, oh, I'm going to move on and make tawbah and marry a nice hijabi or whatever, but that you actually impact people forever with everything that you do. So this now brings us to uh, a couple of other points that I want us to reflect on. Uh, number one, on religious deeds, qualifying and quantifying your religious deeds. Now, whichever side you focus more on, whether it's quantification or qualification, this is going to create different experiences of how you take responsibility and have accountability uh, when it comes to your psychology of the religion. So if you fixate too much on just quantifying deeds, then you can create almost like an obsessive person who's always counting acts of worship. And, you know, there's this illusion that paradise is actually earned by this worship point system that I, that I have. But the truth of the matter is we don't have any knowledge of what God actually accepts from our deeds and which ones um, he will uh, forgive or not forgive. And so we always need to be in a state of humility and sincerity and motivation to purify our intentions with any act of worship or any encounter we have with a human being. Because we know in the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam, for instance, we have an example of a prostitute 
who gave a dog water and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave her. I mean, how many of us would actually, you know, if your daughter was a prostitute, you'd have enough compassion to recognize that, you know, she could actually still go to Jannah and Allah could forgive her, even though she spent all her life whoring herself out. I mean, this is super intense. But in the Sunnah, we actually find an example where that's the case. We also find in the Sunnah, the Prophet mentions, you know, an imam who worshipped, um, who, who basically had Qur'an memorized and used to lead the prayers. Um, and when he met Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, this is all empty because you only did it for your own glory and for people to praise your, you know, leadership and, oh, look at you, mashallah, all this Qur'an memorized. So on the surface, he also appeared to be a very religious imam and leader, yet inside, that's not the case at all. And the hadith also mentions um, a person who gives you know, charity or spends for the sake of God, as well as a warrior who fights in the cause of God. And all of these people were seen by their communities as noble people, but when they meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's actually the contrary. So it also goes to show you that the, the quantification of deeds or the impact of the things you do on the outside, if the internal reality isn't there, the sincerity, the sound heart, then you end up coming meeting Allah SWT and it's all empty. So that's, that's really terrifying when you think about it. And it shows the importance of the state of one's heart and mind as they do what they do. Shaitan himself, Iblis, we all know the story, okay? He worshipped God so much and was considered such a great servant of God that he was amongst the ranks of the angels, right? But then when Allah created Adam, السلام, uh, Iblis's true nature came out. And that's one of the things that we learn from the story is that Iblis himself um, came to realize who he really was and that this was just about his own glory. Uh, in the Quran, we also find in Surah Al-Kahf, the chapter of the cave, the story of Musa and Khidr, which is one of my favorite stories of all time. And I'm not going to break down that whole story here. Um, but one of the lessons we take away from that is sometimes the acts on the outside isn't always what it seems. There's There's hidden realities. And when it comes to the bigger picture, sometimes the things that we do on the surface or on paper... Uh, is not quite what it seems. Now, this can work um, for us and against us, right? So, for example, somebody like the guy at the university, he's committing zina, and many people are already judging him and going, oh, you're just like not a good Muslim, right? But as a result of his relationship, guy number two, um, this other human being becomes Muslim, and perhaps all his sins will be forgiven because of that. So on the surface, if we jump to judgment and only uh, ruling based on, you know, what is sharia on paper, sometimes that's not the full story. And this is why we always have to leave judgment up to God, because only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his knowledge and wisdom knows the layers of reality for everything and every person. On the other hand, we also need to assess the outside as a starting point. Right, because the Prophet also taught us that he was sent to judge things based on their exterior. So if I pray five times a day at the masjid, people assume like, okay, he's a Muslim, right? He's he's down with us. He's he's part of this tradition. But if I don't have any other evidence, we should assume the best of people based on the, what is happening on the outside, right? Similarly, when we see something wrong on the outside, we also tend to assume the worst. But I think that it has to be 
uh, tamed a bit by this concept of it's not just about what you do and how it's also about how you do it. It's not just about quantifying your deeds and the amount of things that you think you've done, but also the quality behind the performance of these actions and deeds. You always need both. Humans are always going to make mistakes. And part of the inner sciences is to recognize that you always have growth areas because you will never be perfect. All right. And while making mistakes is a part of the human condition, um, Quantity of deeds with quality is the ideal. Even through the means of a sin, can we receive a type of goodness and forgiveness and mercy? Okay. Uh, in the Quran, chapter 29, verse 6 to 7, it alludes to this. It says, And whoever strives, only strives, for the benefit of himself. Indeed, Allah is free from the need of the worlds. In other words, don't be doing all this religious stuff for the sake of your own, you know, ego-building endeavor. And in verse 7, it says, And those who believe and do righteous deeds, will surely we will surely remove from their misdeeds, and will surely reward them according to the best of what they used to do. So there's a lot of hope here, and also a lot of uh, possibility for Allah to eradicate what we may think is our doom. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran chapter 2689 that God looks for the sound hearts on the day of judgment. So theoretically, even if you show up with a bunch of bad sins and mistakes on your account, if your heart is sound and you're sincere, and one of the practical signs that you are being sincere is by making tawbah or turning back to God. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Furqan chapter 25 verse 70, إِلَّا مَنْ تَابَ وَآمَنَ وَعَمِلَ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا فَأُولَٰئِكَ يُبَدِّلُ اللَّهُ سَيِّئَاتِهِمْ حَسَنَاتٍ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا So basically, before this, it's talking about being punished for committing sins. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Except for those who repent, believe, and do righteous work, for them Allah will replace their evil deeds with, with good deeds. And Allah is the most forgiving and the most merciful. And it's just beautiful because this is the hope and the promise that Allah gives us. And that is the motivator to help us all keep on striving. Even when we keep falling, we know that we can get back up and keep on moving. So this imbalanced belief of this idea that to be a good Muslim, I have to be a perfect Muslim. But that's only true if we really believe that I only go to Jannah based on the quantification of my deeds. And that's why you get people who, you know, insist or are constantly obsessed with doing more, even if their heart isn't in it, because they really think there's like the Excel sheet up in heaven, where all your points are, you know, listed automatically. But again, we can't forget that only Allah knows what he actually accepts from our deeds. If you prayed all your five daily prayers for the last 50 years, that's awesome. You know, may Allah bless you. But you can't rely on the fact that now I'm good, or really that's what Allah is going to accept, as if I prayed 50 times. You might meet Allah and He only accepted five of them, you know, who knows. So it's very important for us to, to always remember that when we fixate too much on quantification of deeds, we could lose the quality. And we also have to make sure that you can't do anything with quality unless you're doing something. 
Hence why you actually have to try to pray and to fast and to give sadaqah and to you know modify your behaviors. Because if you're not doing that, then you have no space to actually work on the quality of what you're doing. So you always need both. And sometimes this comes up in ways where people say, you know, Kareem, how am I supposed to be perfect? Because being a muhsin is all about being perfect. And I say, no, being a muhsin is all about having excellence. And you got to recognize your developmental stages or the evolution of yourself as levels. And so if I get to level seven, level seven makes me feel more perfected compared to level six. But now within level seven, I have this whole new horizon of challenges and blessings and opportunities that I didn't have previously. And that's what I think being a muhsin is all about. It's always about excelling to the next level of excellence given or provided the condition I'm currently in. And that's another way of understanding what it means to try to always perfect yourself. But to try to become a perfect person or a perfect Muslim in every way, shape, or form, I really just don't believe that. I think it's inconceivable because you're basically saying that at some point you can be perfected in every sense and nobody can. You know, you are always in a earthly body which has its own natural physical entropy, you know. Um, there's always going to be curveballs in life. There's always going to be things that comes your way. And I think that seeing Ihsan as a, a path of trying to always become more excellent is a more healthy and sound way to see it. Because nothing is really black and white totally. I mean, very few things are. But when you think about the world, and sometimes, you know, religious people do this, they take religious doctrine and they make everything about black and white. It becomes very dogmatic, very simplistic. And here's what I have to offer about that. You know, when Allah says in the Quran that he created everything in pairs and or mentions things like dunya and akhirah and the night and the day and iman and kufr, you have to remember that these are poles that represent the purest essence or sides of a spectrum. So if you think about the world being black and white, uh, think about a horizontal bar, all right, that has uh, pure white on the right side and pure darkness on the other. In between the black and white, you have variation of shades, okay? And in the center, you have like, let's say the most uh, balanced uh, shade between darkness and light. And what's interesting is even Allah SWT created the world, it's constantly in a state of shade. Nothing is pure darkness and nothing is pure light because either one of those blind you and you can't work with it. So there's always shades and spectrums. Similarly, nobody would say, you know, drinks have to be either very hot or extremely cold. We know that there's a number of ways you can serve a drink. It can be mildly cold or slightly chilled or lukewarm and there's variation there. And so when Allah SWT tells us about pairs, it's almost like a launching pad to understand the reality of things and have self-definition. Because if you can't contrast something starkly with another entity, then you can't really get a sense of that differentiation. And so things aren't always purely black and white, but those are stepping stones for us to understand the variation of existence. And that includes things like Iman and Kufr. Not all Mu'mins and all, not all Kafirs are the same exact thing, right? But we have these definitions 
and qualities for what these things are so that we can have a better sense to gauge and navigate our own state and others. And a simple example of this is, is Abu Lahab, okay, one of the uncles of the Prophet who diligently fought against the Prophet's message and his people, is his kufr the same as Abi Talib, the father of Ali ibn Abi Talib? Okay? And uh, he didn't accept Islam, and according to our sources, he didn't die as a Muslim. But is his kufr the same as the kufr of Abu Lahab? Right? So there is a spectrum and there is variation even in concepts of iman and kufr. And this may also explain why in paradise and in um, hell, you have levels and degrees. Because not everyone's going to share the same space or real estate in those uh, realities. Thus, to close, I think this is a great reminder for all of us to recognize and, and also liberate yourself that you're not going to go to Jannah just because of the amount of deeds you do, but it has to also have quality. And even when you're doing things that are wrong, you can still have a form of excellence or lesser of two evils, if you will, than just be like, khalas, you know, I'm committing the sin, so I'm just going to, you know, be a complete animal about it, right? And, um, and sometimes this is how we think, you know, okay, so if it is black and white, if I have a girlfriend, then that's it, you know, I just punch out from everything else. What's the point of praying? What's the point of still going to the masjid? I have a girlfriend, I'm committing zina every week or day. So there's really no hope for me. But that's part of the shaitanic psychology of despair, which always tries to convince you that you don't have a chance. And that if you can't do everything perfectly, you might as well just give it all up. Okay, that's from shaitan. And shaitan will use this against you. This um, immature, imbalanced belief that you have to be a perfect Muslim to destroy you. And I really think that that's something we have to pay attention to because it's all or nothing mentality when you think like that. And if you think like that, then you're going to have a lot more people giving up and punching out and and we've probably seen this in our own lives like it's just too much i can't handle it islam just makes me more depressed there's too many expectations it's too needy and uh, yada yada and i'm a human being i i still make these mistakes or I, I do have some sins so if i can't get rid of them i might as well just stop because then islam is just seen as a point of pressure and anxiety um and if we believe that I have to be perfect, and in reality you never will be, then it just feels like a game that you can never win. It just feels like a path you can never stay on. So this is something we have to pay attention to as um, dedicated uh, um, travelers on the path, that it's okay not to be perfect all the time. But what matters is that we realize whatever sins or mistakes we're making uh, definitely alludes to the diseases of our heart or the aspects of our personality that probably should be addressed, okay? Uh, otherwise, how else are you going to continue to learn and be a muhsin and excel and become excellent if you don't have any awareness of the actual faults that you have? And one of the ways that your faults shine through is through the sins or mistakes that you continuously make or struggle not to give up and make tawbah for. So let's summarize these tips. Number one, I don't enter Jannah only because of what I do, but because of my intentions behind why I do them, as the Prophet ﷺ uh, taught us. You know, إِنَّ الْأَعْمَالُ 
beniyet, that our actions are defined or driven by the specific intentions. And that's almost like the gloss or the shining or the packaging that you put on the things that you do. Number two, remember that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can finalize your account. Every time you commit a good, uh, every time you commit a sin, you run the risk of punishment. But it's not finalized in absolute yet. There's always time as long as you're alive and breathing. Hence why the door of tawbah and istighfar is there for all of us. Otherwise, why are these themes in the Quran? It would make no sense if Allah didn't expect us to make mistakes. Even Adam, salam, who Allah created with his own two hands, taught him knowledge and language, gave him the real estate of paradise, and told him and our mother Eve, enjoy yourselves, except for this one tree. And Adam Islam still made the mistake of doing the very thing that God told him not to. So it doesn't get any closer to God, right? You're fashioned by him directly, you're already in paradise, and you can still be forgetful and make a mistake. I mean, it's just a huge existential lesson for all of us. And there are other prophets in the Quran that also made mistakes. Uh, Yunus Islam, you know, why was he in the whale? Well, because he got impatient. Uh, when the Prophet Muhammad was addressed about refining his approach when he was making da'wah to the chiefs of Quraysh and the old man who came to him uh, as someone who was ready to take the pledge of, of, of Iman. That even the Prophets, peace and blessings be on all of them, made mistakes and sometimes made choices that were suboptimal to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expected of them. And that's why their stories are in the Quran for us, so that we can also learn from that. Nobody is free from no blemish. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase us with sincerity and um, a clearer and wiser understanding of our path and how to fulfill it. And I think that when we internalize some of the lessons of today, I hope it will motivate you to keep being a better person, but also liberating yourself from the shackles that shaitan sometimes places on you by convincing you of despair and hopelessness when you're not perfect. Because, again, perfection isn't this absolute concept. It's about perfecting or progressing or making yourself more excellent for the next level. But every level you hit, there's always going to be more growth to be had. And we have to accept that, or else you don't really understand what it means to be a spiritual being in this human experience. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us and increase us and guide us. Ameen, thank you for listening and look forward to catching you next time on Coffee with Kareem.